Hello, and welcome to The Creatives Project, where we talk about all things photography, as well as art and design, travel, and just life. Let's jump in. Welcome back to The Creatives Project. I hope everyone is having a lovely Tuesday or whatever day you may be listening. After the last two episodes of Guest Podcast, I am so excited to be coming out with a solo podcast episode. And this one is for anyone who is even the slightest bit interested in film photography or shooting their first roll of film. Whether you've been shooting digital for a while and want to learn film, or have no experience in photography but just curious about it, this episode is for you. The way I fell in love with photography is actually through film, and it's usually my medium of choice when I'm documenting my personal life or just everyday things that I encounter. There's just something special about it, and I'm excited to share with y'all all all the lessons and things that I've learned in the last few years that I've shot film, and tips I would give someone who wants to shoot their first roll. So for this episode, we're not going to talk about medium format or 110, only 35mm, which is definitely the most common path to start and arguably the easiest form of film to start with. So first of all, film is very intimidating and hard to get into if you don't know where to get started. At least that's definitely how I felt. So like from finding a working camera, because film cameras are like old and finicky and a lot of film cameras you see on the market now aren't being produced anymore. So like even just finding a working camera is difficult. And then next you have to buy a film stock, a film roll. So what kind of film do you get? Where do you buy it? Like all these questions about the film itself and then after you shoot it sending it to a lab sending it to a drugstore like how do you get these film photos into your phone it's so different than shooting on a digital camera and with those you can like just plug your sd card in and see the photos immediately but that's just definitely not the method for film In this episode, we'll kind of walk through all those three things. So number one, how to buy your first film camera, what to look for, what types of cameras are out there. Then number two, what are film stocks, which kind of film stock should you shoot with and how to load that into your camera. And then number three, how to develop your film, what are photo labs, how to send them off. And finally, get your hard shot photos on your phone or your computer. So let's start from the beginning, which is buying your first film camera. So there's many different types of 35mm film cameras out there. To name a few, there's like SLR cameras, so manual, you have to adjust everything manually. There's twin lens, TLR cameras, there's rangefinder cameras, point and shoot cameras, instant cameras, like toy cameras. There's so many different types of 35 millimeter cameras that you could pick up. And for my film journey, I actually started on instant cameras. So like Polaroid and then started shooting like disposable 35 millimeter cameras. So like those plastic 
Kodaks or Fuji films that you see at drugstores, like in those nice plastic packagings. Those are like the film cameras that I first started shooting film on. And those are usually like one use only and have the film loaded inside them. So just based on all of those choices, we're going to go through and talk about each type of camera. So starting on what I started with, which is the instant cameras. So those usually come loaded already with the film and they say the film stock on them already. So it says like Kodak or Fujifilm like on the packaging. So that is the type of film stock that you will be shooting with. And you can look up like film shot with those film stocks to see like the different colorings and see if you like those type of colorings. Honestly, I feel like you can't really go wrong with those type of cameras just because like they're made for like easy use, right? Like they have a built-in flash. They have like a very plasticky, hard body. So like you can throw it around. Um, They're my favorites to like use on vacation when I'm like going to be at the beach, might drop it in the sand. Like who cares about them, right? I feel like those cameras are great for starting because you don't have any settings on them. They literally, it's just like point and shoot. Like I don't even know if you can adjust the flash. I think it's just automatic flash. And yeah, it's just like no thinking needed. And I feel like it just gives you a starter into the film process, into like what exactly is the process of film. Like having this camera, having 24 exposures on it, like feeling what it's like to only capture 24 photos and then dropping that off at a film lab and getting those photos back. Like that is the experience of film no matter what camera you start on. So yeah, that's exactly how I started. And I think it's a great place to first start if you're feeling overwhelmed with like choosing your own film stock and having to load that into your camera. And the other great thing about it is they're like very hardy and have a fixed focal length, meaning that you can't adjust the lens at all. It's like a very small plastic lens. So you don't have to like fiddle on anything with the camera. They come ready to use. I think for myself, I probably shot around five to eight of these cameras in college, like bringing them to like parties, don't care like what happens to them, just like passing around to friends. I feel like most people at this point have seen those type of cameras, either you've shot them or your friend has shot them. I feel like they're becoming more and more popular. So it's definitely a great like entry level point to the experience of film. And then once you get those photos back, you can decide whether you like the look or not, you like the experience. And even now when I own a lot of different types of film cameras, they're still good for a certain purpose. And I still really enjoy shooting on those type of cameras. So that is one type of 35 millimeter may be the easiest type to start with. And let's move on to talking about the next step up, which is just your basic point and shoot camera. So these type of cameras can come in many different sizes, shapes, um, price ranges, you name it. I feel like there is just a huge range of these types of cameras. Like you can pick one up for like five, ten dollars. But there's also like really, really expensive point and shoot cameras 
that will definitely be over like 500. So there's really different ranges and qualities of these type of cameras. Um, but just for a beginner, I feel like the easiest one is a point and shoot camera if you want to experience the film start to finish because you can choose the film stock and you are able to choose the focal length, brand a camera, how nice of quality you want the camera to be, everything like that. I think through your research on what brands you like, um, what focal length you want to shoot on, and they even come in like zooms and everything. So there's lots of different types that you can choose from. And the good thing is a lot of point and shoot cameras, not all, but a lot of them come with flash already built in. So you don't have to worry about shooting in low light with film, which is often harder for beginners just because film doesn't perform as well as digital in low light. So for some point and shoot cameras that I really like, I'm just going to rattle off a little list here. So there are five different point and shoot cameras that I've compiled here today. And these are all under $100, which is great. Most of them under $50, just because I feel like when you're first getting started in film, you don't need a fancy camera. Like you should just get whatever camera um, that is most accessible to you. So you can just get started and see if you like this medium of art. So yeah, get out your notes. I'm about to just list them and then we're going to go through and talk about each one. So number one, this is the camera that I first started on. So I feel like I'm a little biased, but I think it's a great camera. It's the Minolta Memory Maker. And with each of these five cameras, there's like different prototypes of each one. So there's, I don't know how many prototypes, it depends on the brand, but like probably at least three different iterations of each camera. But the, specifically the one I had was the Minolta Memory Maker 3 with the big viewfinder. So I think it was the third iteration and they also made the iteration with like a larger viewfinder. So it's easier to see like what you're taking a photo of. And I definitely appreciated that when I was first getting started on my film photography journey. And yeah, I shot with that for about a year. I think it's like a great camera to start on. The Minolta is like a very reputable camera brand, but it's a little bit cheaper than other bigger names. So yeah, I think it's a great starter camera. It had a flash. Um, the photos always turned out great. I couldn't ask for more with that first camera. And I think I got it for like, I want to say $25. So yeah, worked great. And number two is the Canon SureShot. I think the Canon SureShot is probably my favorite camera right now. I've been shooting with it for about six months. And again, it's not an expensive camera. I think I got it for like maybe $50. So it's a little more expensive than the Minolta. But the photos I found are a lot crisper than the Minolta. Um, and it's a little bit more compact. And I think with Canon, there's a lot of different types of film cameras that you could get. I've gotten some camera, some Canon cameras that are like really big, like brick size. Um, this one is way more compact than the other ones. So that's what I really like about it. And the fact that film is very, very easy to load. 
with this camera. It also has a really strong flash. I've definitely blinded people with that flash. And also a self-timer and red-eye reduction a little button. So it has a couple more features that the Minolta didn't have. And like even though it's still a very point-and-shoot camera with like it's basically like flash, no flash. There's a self-timer if you want. Those are like the only features. So yeah, that's like exactly what I like in my point and shoots just those kind of key features but there's way more features that you can look for in film cameras and the next one I'm about to mention is like a little step up from that and the other two uh, the Minolta and the Canon are plastic bodies but this Olympus camera that I'm about to mention is a little more like your traditional film camera that you would see like it looks very old. It's like metal and plastic, not just plastic. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that one. So the third camera on the list is the Olympus Trip, and specifically the Olympus Trip 35. There's a lot of limitations, which is not a bad thing, but it is more like a SLR film camera than a point-and-shoot camera that will allow you to shoot in basically all light conditions. Because it's like a more like the manual SLR, it doesn't have a flash, isn't really good in low light. You'll see that it has the photographer do a lot more like calculating in their head and just more of that manual film shooting experience. And when I say limitations are a bad thing, it's because like they're not like film itself is a limitation. Like you are limited to the 36, 24 whatever role you have, amount of exposures versus digital, you are unlimited. And there's so many other different limitations that film can place on you, whether it be low light, like we were just talking about, if your camera only goes up to a certain shutter speed. So yeah, I feel like limitations do make you a better photographer because you have to get creative and work around that. So yeah, that was a little tangent, but Anyway, the Olympus Trip 35 has more limitations than the other point and shoots that I mentioned earlier. One of those being there are only two shutter speeds. And this is common in a lot of these type of like hybrid point and shoot slash SLR cameras where they like have a built in light meter, but you can only adjust the shutter speed like a couple ways or like two or three different ways usually, or you can only adjust the aperture like a couple stops so the shutter speeds on the trip are 1 over 40 and 1 over 200 and the camera actually sets them for you based on the amount of light in the automatic light meter but if you turn off that setting you can manually adjust that yourself so the light meter of the olympus trip doesn't have low light capability so if you want to shoot in low light, you'll have to get an off-camera flash. And like how there's only two different shutter speeds on this camera, there's also this like funny little estimating tool that you can estimate the distance towards so it can help you focus. So there's no focus aid on the viewfinder, so there you just have to like estimate it and adjust it. So the lens has some symbols like a mountain, so for landscape shots, or a person for like portraits. So yeah, you just have to adjust it to whatever symbol it is. 
and that will be how far your camera knows to focus. So this is like a very common thing that happens that is in a lot of these like hybrid point and shoot slash manual cameras where they have these little symbols and like ways to adjust it that aren't fully, fully manual like you would see in an SLR. So I think this is like a good in-between if you're ready to be a little bit more hands-on and manual and every time before you shoot, um, it's not like all the settings are just ready for you. You have to do a little bit of adjusting and but it also gives you more control on how the final image will be. These type of hybrid cameras usually come in around like $80 depending on the condition of the camera. And since they aren't being produced anymore, a lot of them are very old, sold for parts. So you have to be careful about the condition of the camera when you buy it, especially when it's like an online seller and you're not buying it in person and can check it out yourself. But there's also so many different types of these hybrid cameras besides the Olympus Trip that you can check out. For example, um, the Minolta Hymatic. I just bought that for my partner and he seems to enjoy shooting on that. Or there's tons of alternatives like the Zeiss 10X Taxona cameras. Um, yeah, just you can look up on Google like alternatives to the Olympus trip or alternatives to any camera that I mentioned in this video and see um, the colorways, the brand, the features that the camera has. Like there's so many different ways to customize point and shoots and figure out what kind of camera is best for you. So for these last two point and shoot cameras, I'm just gonna breeze through them quickly. I feel like you guys get the vibe and know what point and shoots are all about, but I wanted to share these two because they are on the higher end, so better picture quality and they are both zoom cameras. So the first one that we're going to mention is the Nikon Light Touch, and the second one is the Pentax IQ Zoom. I feel like they both have like a lot of similarities, which is they both are zoom cameras. So they have a wide angle lens all the way up to a like pretty tight portrait lens to 70 millimeter. And they also have automatic focusing, um, really big viewfinders, self timer, built in flash. So I feel like they have a lot of things that you're looking for if you're looking for a higher end point and shoot camera that was made on the later side of film camera production. So I think it was made, both of them were made in the early 2000s. So it's a different style than the third camera that we were talking about. Finally, let's go over SLR film cameras, which are arguably the hardest film camera to start with and the granddaddy of all film cameras. So the SLR camera, or also known as single lens reflex camera, are like what film photography started with. So these are like your old ass film cameras. They're usually like heavier. Um, they allow you to adjust everything manually. So you'll have to adjust the shutter speed and the aperture completely manually. So you'll either have a built-in light meter in your camera or you'll have to light meter yourself to properly expose your image. Another big pro of SLR cameras is that you can change the lens. So that obviously is so nice when you are shooting different types of things. 
You can switch out as many different lenses as you want, and you don't have to buy a whole new camera like if you had a point and shoot with a lens that was stuck on the camera. So with SLRs, you can switch it out just like a digital DSLR camera. And with better lens quality means that the photo will be sharper and the final image that you make will be better quality. So that's another huge pro of SLR cameras. They are usually much sharper than like your average point and shoot, which has like a plastic lens. SLR cameras are like high quality glass usually. I think SLR cameras are definitely the hardest way to first shoot film just because you have to keep in mind so many different things. But if you're ready for the challenge, take it on. I applaud you. Um, just a disclaimer, I've actually never shot with a SLR 35mm camera. I only shoot SLR 120 film. So it's a little different for me. So I'm going to give you two camera recommendations that my film photographer friends have given me. But just know I've never shot these. But you know, I think they're great cameras. Everyone has heard of them. So the two cameras are the Nikon FM and the Canon AE-1. But yeah, I think they're just great beginner cameras. Like you cannot go wrong. And these cameras are produced in large batches. So in case like a part breaks, you know, you can go and get a part replaced pretty easily. And just overall, they have everything that you're looking for in a film SLR camera. So they have like easy knobs for the shutter speed aperture. You can see the film easily has a smooth film rewind button or depending on the machine, a lever. And both of these cameras are pretty lightweight to travel or just everyday shooting because some SLR cameras can be so heavy. I, the only time I've tried to shoot with the SLR camera was the Minolta SRT 101 and that thing is so heavy and it also broke within like two seconds of me trying to shoot with it and then I just got into medium format and never looked back so that's just one funny thing about me. I'm definitely not writing off 35 millimeter SLR cameras but for me I'm scarred from my Minolta experience so I'm taking the advice of my film photographer friends and recommending you these two cameras. I think they're great for, yeah, just starting your film experience. So happy shooting with whatever film camera that you decide to buy. The only thing that I would say with buying a film camera is obviously make sure that it is in working condition. I think like that is the main pitfall of buying a film camera. There's been so many times, probably like five plus times that I've bought a film camera like on eBay, which is usually where I buy all of my cameras, um, bought it on eBay. And before I used to just buy it when it said like for sale and it wasn't for parts, like it was still the camera um, and it was working and I would buy it and not test it or specifically like ask the seller if it had been tested or like in the description, it like says loud and clear, like this camera has been tested and working, um, just making sure that the quality of the camera is up to par because there is no worse feeling than loading film into your new camera. So excited. And then you shoot the whole roll and then get it developed. And then the 
role comes out blank. Like that's happened to me so many times and it's like one of the saddest experiences ever. So don't want that to happen to you guys. Make sure the camera is tested before you start shooting. And lastly, I wanted to say that the equipment slash camera that you're using does not matter in the long run to you making beautiful images and photographs that you really enjoy and are proud of. I feel like whatever camera that you have is the best camera. Like if you have an old film camera sitting around in your grandparents' closet, or if you don't have a lot of money and just want to spend like 20 bucks on a camera, I think like whatever choice of camera that you make is going to be the best camera for you. And then like once you get that camera, don't give up on it, shoot a lot on it. I think like it just comes with time and the unpredictability of film and the clunkiness and hardiness of these old cameras that were produced 20, 30, 40 years ago are just what makes the magic of film. So yeah, just kind of you have to get through the hump of like learning how to use the film and figuring out your camera, developing a relationship with your camera to really make some beautiful photographs. And the best photographs come with the camera you already have. Okay, so you've gotten your camera, you're ready to shoot. And what do you need next? You need your film stock. So there are so many different types of film stocks out there, basically like unlimited because some film labs or photographers can even make their own. But out of like the mainstream ones, I'm just going to list a few that I really like to shoot with. But basically, the different film stocks have their own unique color palettes. So some are very vibrant and saturated to more like softer, subdued tones. Some are better for portraits. Some are better for nature. And these like very subtle color shifts and variations you see, you can start recognizing them with film the longer you shoot and experiment with it yourself. And also expired film is a whole nother category. Like basically expired film is film that has been sitting out for decades and it has shifted color. It could shift a lot or it could shift just like a little bit. You don't know until you go and develop it. But they're usually like discounted. You can find them online or at some film labs. And that's another fun way to try out film without breaking the bank. So yeah, let's just get started in talking about a few of the film stocks. First one I feel like is the most classic one is Portrait 400. This one is your most true to color portrait film. So it's really good for, as it says, portraits because they bring out the most true to color skin tones on people. And this is definitely my go-to film when I'm shooting client work or shooting something that I don't want any kind of color deviance from it. The next one is your like drugstore film. So you can find both of these at drugstores, Kodak's and Fuji Films. So Kodak has a lot of different types. Kodak Ultramax, Kodak Gold, 200, 400, all those different types of stocks. And Kodak is mostly known for like more colorful, more golden tones, uh, leaning a little bit on the yellow side. And I really like Kodak when I'm shooting like golden hour at the beach, colorful landscapes, things like that. 
And yeah, as I said, you can find them at the like drugstore, Walgreens. They're very accessible, unlike Porto, where you usually have to buy that at a film lab. I don't really see it as often carried in grocery stores or drugstores. The third one is Fujifilm, and I really like shooting Fujifilm. I would say it's one of my favorites because I really like the greenish tones it brings out. It's known for br- being on the colder side, and I really like it for like landscapes and nature. I don't find it to be too cold. I just really like the green that it comes with. And both Kodak and Fujifilm and a few other cameras to have their own disposable cameras. So if you want to just try out what that film stock looks like, you can just pick up the camera like in the disposable camera packaging without just having the roll and having to load it in your own camera if you just want to try it out. And there's a lot more that I didn't mention. I feel like a runner up for me would be Cinestill, which is another professional grade film stock. And it it has really cool red highlights. And I feel like that one's a more unique one. I don't shoot with it that often, but I definitely have friends who really like it. And yeah, it has this really sick, like blooming effect with the red highlights. And it's really good for nighttime shooting. I would say the last category that I want to mention is black and white film. So my favorite black and white stock is Ilford HP5. And I like that one because it's really contrasty and gritty. Like I feel like I'm in some kind of dramatic movie when I shoot with it. I always love getting the scans back because they like it's kind of hard to fuck up because it's so contrasty and just like makes everything look cool. I think black and white has more range in which you can shoot in low light or be really overexposed and it still looks pretty good compared to color. So yeah, those that's my recommendation for black and white. But as I said, there's so many different types of film stocks out there. I've just barely grazed the surface on different film stocks, but these are just kind of the most popular ones and definitely recommend going to your local film lab, see what they have in stock and pick out of those. And also it really depends on the season because sometimes my film lab doesn't have the type of film I'm looking for. Because film is such a wanted commodity lately and people aren't producing it the way they used to when digital cameras weren't around, there is way more demand for film than is being produced. So there's a lot of film that like skyrockets in price one week to the next or yeah, runs out some weeks. So you really have to check in and find out like what's in stock at your film lab or you could just order online order in bulk and put it in your fridge if you put film in your fridge it helps um contain all the goodness inside the film i don't know the science behind it but you can put film in your fridge to make it last longer and yeah those are the film stocks really choose one and start shooting with it and i promise it'll be good i feel like i didn't I couldn't tell the difference when I first shot with it until I shot probably like two of each kind. Then I started kind of noticing the difference. But as long as you just keep shooting and trying out different types, then it'll just make your artistic eye better. And then you could finally hone in on a couple that you like. And then you know your own style. And it all just snowballs from there. Okay, so at this point, I'm assuming you got your film 
you load it in your camera, you've taken all the shots that you want, and you are ready to drop it off. So number one, please go to a professional film lab. Do not go to your Walgreens, CVS, Bartel Drugs, wherever the film, like drugstore film is near you, because they will fuck it up. I have gone way too long to like the CVS and Bartel Drugs in my area to drop off my film. And the film developers there aren't equipped in the same way as professional film labs to handle your film, develop it with care, make the right color adjustments, everything like that. And yeah, I feel like it's also around the same price. So I just didn't know about professional film labs when I started shooting film. So there's like probably like 10 plus roles I've dropped off at these drugstore developers that are unfortunately lost to the world. But I mean, the pictures will still turn out, but like the dynamic range, the shadows, the highlights, the preservations that a professional film lab will have like a human look over and make like slight color adjustments. I just doubt that is happening at the Walgreens or CVS. And you can tell in the quality of the image you're getting back. And not only that, but professional film labs can specially store your negatives for you. They can cut them into sleeving, whatever sleeving you want. They can upload your film in a custom gallery, things like that, that Walgreens, CBS, Bartel Drugs can't do. So another thing with your negatives, once you are finished shooting your role, negatives are basically your actual photos from where your prints are derived. So saving your negatives will allow you the ability and convenience to reprint any old photo and they can also be digitally converted. But if you just want the scans for now and just to save them on your phone, which is completely valid, you can just ask them to throw away the negatives as well. And that's it. That's the process of shooting a roll of film, start to finish from buying your camera, buying your film stock, and dropping it off at the lab. And most labs will get your film back within a week or less. My lab in Brooklyn usually gets it back in like three, four days, but there's definitely labs that do same day turnaround if you pay extra or take a little longer. It just depends where you go to. And I just have a couple more tips just in general to keep in mind when you're shooting your first roll of film. And that is to be intentional and expect mistakes. I feel like film photography, especially if you're coming from shooting digital, you just need to be more intentional because you don't have as many images to make because you're limited by the amount of exposures on the roll. And that's like what is celebrated about film photography, celebrated for its deliberate and very mindful process where each exposure carries weight and a lot of significance and the limitations of film, like kind of what I was talking about earlier, like encourage you to approach your photography with like even more intentionality and mindfulness. And slowing down like that really helps me just like imagine photography and the frame that I'm shooting in a different way and allows me to be more present in the moment and immerse myself in what I'm shooting and what's around me. So I hope that does the same thing for you too. I think that's why a lot of us love film photography 
it just allows us to be more present and more relaxed in shooting. Because number two, film is finicky. There's so many mistakes that happen. There's light leaks. These cameras are so old and like can break down at a moment's notice. So you just have to roll with it. I feel like you just have to expect like you can't have that same expectation when you're shooting digital. You kind of have to have a different mindset with shooting film because there's so many happy mistakes that can happen and make a photo turn out way different than you thought. And you can't even see the photo until you get your role developed, right? So like once you get it developed, you probably can't retake that same image. So yeah, I feel like there's just this mindset that comes with expecting mistakes in your film and having a more gentle mindset for yourself when your film is inevitably going to be fucked up in some way. I feel like if I'm shooting digital and I mess up the frame, I look back on it later and I'm like, damn, I really should have captured that. Like, there's something wrong about this. My settings wasn't right. Versus on film, if it gets developed, I get it back from the lab and there's like something wrong with it. I'm like, oh, that's just film. And I feel like I'm just more gentle on myself and my creative process when shooting film. And lastly, I just wanted to touch on the nostalgia of film and the tangible experience that loading film, advancing each frame, each step of the process engages the photographer like very tangibly and nostalgically because you're using such a old beautiful machine and the anticipation that comes with shooting that and waiting for the film to be developed seeing the physical prints or the scan negatives it just adds to the excitement and nostalgia of this whole journey of film so yeah that's all i had to say about the topic i hope this helped in some way if you're thinking about shooting your first roll of film or you're transitioning between film and digital film has been such a big part of my photography journey and it has made me see life in a different more beautiful way so I hope y'all can experience that too and happy shooting thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the creators project and I will talk to you guys later